This is Dr. Ray Mitch, and you're listening in to the Love You Later by podcast, otherwise known as the Psych Monologues. I am, uh, it is a delight to spend some time with you today, uh, as brief or as long-winded as I may become. Uh, and I must say that today is a red-letter day. Uh, most people don't know where that came from or what that phrase comes from, but in ancient antiquity when authors would start a, a chapter or a new paragraph, they'd usually color the first uh, letter of the paragraph to indicate its importance. And I would say that today is a red letter day, partly because of what it doesn't include. Uh, today marks the end of the semester for many college seniors. And uh, uh, it is uh, a part of the uh, landscape, the warp and woof of, of uh, coming to the end of a semester. And usually today or tomorrow uh, or some other day even this week is, is oftentimes graduation. And that is going out with a whimper for sure. And it, uh, it, it is uh, one of those days that is uh, bittersweet in the best sense of the word when it's present but I think when it's uh, absent it is more bitter than it is sweet I've had a number of uh, students mention to me about I don't know what to feel it, it, I'm not really sure what's next and it doesn't seem right that I go through the weekend and just pick up uh, into the world of being an adult uh, I don't I, I think that's kind of a a oversimplification because in a lot of ways they've been uh, being adults in training anyway. But be that as it is, uh, today is a, uh, a day that we look at and, and we get reminded again of the things that we have lost and the things that have been changed as a result of this pandemic we're in. And uh, it, it is one of those things that I think a lot of people would love just to avoid or deny or diminish in some way. And uh, that actually is more hurtful than helpful, even though that is our inclination. And one of the things that I am reminded of that uh, um, I think we can take into account, at least on a day like today, is that it's seemingly for most of uh, the rest of our lives, when we're not confronted by it and kind of shoved in our face, with uh, something big that's missing in our lives, a little bit like a graduation, uh, is that we spend a good portion of our days seemingly kind of scrubbing our lives clean of all the things that are negative or things that are uh, a downer or whatever the word we might use. And, and that's understandable. Uh, but on the other hand, I think it also... Uh, scrubs our lives clean of depth too because we live by contrasts I think I may have mentioned this in one of the earlier podcasts but even being being a psychologist and, and studying how our senses work and and even the the physiology of them we actually operate on uh, contrast when things change so if you uh, you know, if you fill a bowl with some hot water and you put your hand in it, it, uh, it is shocking. And we feel, ow, 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 that is so hot. 
But then if I leave my hand in it for any length of time, and this is true for the cold too, when you put on an ice pack or something like that, before too long, it seemingly loses its heat. The fact of the matter remains is that, yes, the heat is dissipating, but our nerves function on changing signals. The changing signals that say something is changing, uh, this still hurts, whatever that might be, but eventually they satiate, they, they begin to respond less because the signal hasn't changed. And so we, we, if we spend our days trying to scrub it clean of the things that are negative or the things that are bad or whatever, we end up scrubbing our lives clean of depth. Now that doesn't mean I stand in line to make my life miserable and terrible because then I'll, I'll, you know, I'll have some measure of personal depth. I, I don't mean that at all. But I think there's something to contrasts because joy gains its greatest um, meaning when we experience sorrow and good and evil and good and bad. And those kinds of contrasts are necessary for us to appreciate that. So I think, for example, uh, you know, students and teachers and everybody else has, has been impacted by the pandemic and been kind of siloed to our houses and whatever it is. And when we go back, uh, that's a big win. I, I realize I probably should say if, but I'm, I'm assuming we will go back not to the way things were before, because I'm not sure we're ever going to go back to the way things were before. But when we go back, one of the first things that I, I know that I'm going to take a minute to do, or at least I'm going to try to do, is relish how much I enjoy being with my students and, and experiencing the questions that they have. And and the, the uh, dynamism that is part of a classroom and, and teaching and all of that. And I hope, I sure hope they do the same. That when they're sitting in class and looking around, it's like I, I they, they, hopefully they will remind themselves. I don't know that they will because we, you know, we, we're so relieved that we're back to whatever normal is that we don't pay any attention to the things that, the way they think the things were before and and how uncomfortable it was how bad it was if you want to put it that way and so uh the contrasts are really very very important and i again when we're when we're going to talk about what i want to talk about tonight that same thing is true when we're even sitting with somebody else and hearing uh, the difficulties they might be facing or enjoying the excitement that they are experiencing as well and entering into that. The excitement gains its excitement because it's compared to something. And that comparison is oftentimes either the mundane uh, that seemingly has no features to it at all or the the depths of, of difficulty or depression or discouragement or whatever it might be and that really is part of it so um, the the thing that I, I wanted to segue into from that uh, those comments was really uh, something that is again what we've been doing if you're just joining us I know I'm eight minutes into this already but I'll just do it anyway um, is uh, my effort in these last uh, 
18, 19, 20 episodes was to talk about the major themes of things that I have talked about uh, with my students. And obviously, if you're not, haven't ever been one of my students and you don't know the, the background to this, and that's fine, because I think they stand alone as just lessons of life and lessons of relationship in terms of what we do with one another and how we meet one another. And these were parting thoughts at one point in time that I passed on to my students. Um, and I think they still stand the test of time when it comes to how, how do we handle our own relationships. So this one can be said this way. Uh, don't try to be profound, just be present. And what exactly do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that when we're confronted with a friend or uh, we enter into a conversation with somebody who who has it really bad and there's something has happened, they're grieving, and, and if I have any parents that are listening to this for college students, this is particularly true is our propensity when we hear difficult emotions and, and uh, flying conclusions that are not based in fact at all, they're based in feelings. Our tendency is to enter into it and try to fix it or to try to provide a solution or to try to diminish it somehow or give some perspective to it. And the reality is, is that we are more taken with what we have to say than we are with meeting the person where they are. And so when we work overly hard to try to come up with a perspective that helps them, we end up missing them altogether. See, when I am working to be profound, I cease to be present because in my effort to be profound, I'm paying more attention to myself than what the other person is saying. The challenge of being present is listening to understand rather than listening to reply. The best example that I can give you from scripture, which is probably the one that sticks in my mind the most, is, you know, when you read the book of Job, as confusing as it seems to be as a book, because it it creates all sorts of questions about what happens in the celestial realm and you know, was God responsible for all of Job's hardships and so forth? And I, I'm not even going to even remotely begin to, to uh, enter into that conversation. But the thing that I would point you to the most is, is basically a Jewish ritual that is called sitting Shiva with someone. <clears throat> and what we see in the book of Job is just that. Now, this is a remarkable, remarkable scene. I mean, if we calculate and understand the depth of it, we begin to see the profundity, if I can use that word, the profundity of being present with someone rather than speaking. And so sitting Shiva, as it's portrayed in the book of Job, is his friends come from far off, and they see a figure on the horizon. And it's a figure they don't recognize. They, they have come, as many of us do, we come to a situation with expectations of the person we are going to find and what condition they might be in and, 
and what they might say. And we're kind of rehearsing in our minds all of our stock answers to whatever they might come up with rather than, um, like I said, figuring out what is before I try to figure out what I should say. But they, they are, as they are approaching a figure on the horizon, they, they don't recognize the person. He is unrecognizable. And as they approach and the closer they get with each passing step, they begin to realize that this was indeed their friend Job, the, the, a paragon of virtue in, in a lot of ways, and somebody that stood out in the community as a man of integrity. And they walk up and see somebody that's covered with boils and, and is covered in sackcloth and ashes, and he is barely recognizable. And Scripture tells us that they are stunned into silence. And they sit with him for seven days. Now imagine for just a second uh, in putting this in everyday terms. If I were to go to a friend's house and there I walk in and I'm confronted with a picture of them of being so broken and so distraught and so uh, disillusioned and completely broken down that I am stunned into silence. And the next seven days, so from now until next Friday, I, I just come and visit and sit. I don't say anything. I listen to their cries and their complaints and their anger and everything that comes pouring out of their mouths toward God or anyone else. And I say nothing. Now, most of our minds, when you see and think about that scene, you think, well, how terribly insensitive it is of that person to not at least offer some words of comfort. (laughs) And the minute we say that, we betray what we assume. And that is that our presence means something so minimal, so... uh, irrelevant, that the only way that we can be of use or present is if we come up with some words to hit a target, which we don't know what the target is, to try to comfort this person. And we blow past the fact that we are actually there giving the person permission to be wherever he or she is, and we remain present with them in it. Now, there are, there's a whole other group of people out there, I think, that would see or hear that and say, well, that's not being very helpful. After all, they, they need something from me, and I have something to offer them in terms of a, like I said, a perspective or some scripture that I could offer them that came to my mind as I was coming to meet with them or something. But being silent seems really insensitive. And maybe that might be the case. Part of the reason that I think it would be seen as insensitive is because when we're in the state, now I'm going to switch roles for a second, and I'm the person that is broken down and disillusioned and depressed and discouraged and everything else. We've gotten to the place where when I get into that state, all I want is a solution. 
I want somebody to fix this now so that I don't feel so bad, so that I am not so discouraged. And when it really comes right down to it, another person can't do that. As a matter of fact, when we think about it in terms of just the grieving process, I need to pass through some of those things. I need to pass through some of those emotions. Yes, they are very difficult and very painful to, to go through. But we have, we have developed a culture of words. And I get it. I traffic in words. I teach. I use them all the time. But sometimes I think we put way too much stock in our words and not nearly enough stock in our presence with the other person. And the funny thing about it is that we do that with God. (laughs) We do that with God. Is Jesus, when he left, he said to his disciples, look, I'm going to send a helper to you. I'm going to send a counselor, a comforter, a Uh, the Holy Spirit, to be with you, to be present with you. And, And he goes on and does what he does and ascends and leaves them. And and they, they weren't of the mind that it would be of us today because of us today is, well, that's great, but what am I supposed to do? I mean, can't you give me some kind of manual or 12-step program to win over the rest of the world or evangelize people or whatever? Because it seems to be kind of built into our nature to want to systematize and um, categorize and create some way of knowing whether we're making any progress or not. So we take presence and turn it into some kind of program and then we can know that we're making some progress. Uh, yeah, the, the P's just start piling up all over the place with this thing. But what we miss is that when I lean in on presence, I also lean in on trust. And I lean in on the relationship that I have with that person. And I can suddenly have a clear picture of that that person's heart. Or I can display my heart in my willingness to be present and not try to be profound, not come up with some, you know, stunning perspective that clears everything up for the other person and they can say, oh, I never thought of it that way. Thank you so much. My life is so much better and I can get on with life now. That denies the the reality of being human and limited and feeling sorrow and feeling the things that we do. And, you know, it seems like I spend so much time talking about sorrow that that, uh, I I don't, uh, I'm not one to want to spend much time on mountaintops and having fun experiences and excitement and all the other things. And I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those Debbie Downers or curmudgeons that just want to uh, grump about everything and grouse about everything. I'm not, I, I don't really think I'm that way. Sometimes I can be my own special form of cantankerous, but, 
it, it really isn't that. I have slowly but surely realized that my friends and the character of my friends is revealed more when I'm in a valley than when I'm on a mountaintop. And I need both. I mean, I, I can't really appreciate the mountaintop unless I've been through a valley. I, I know what the climb has been like to, to go further in that metaphor. So when I operate and uh, move into somebody's sphere of influence or the sphere of where they are, the thing that I have to attempt to do and move toward is not try to be profound, just be present. One of the things that comes along with this is understanding that someone else's distress is not my responsibility. Now that may sound a little calloused, but if I take on and make their distress mine, I would suggest to you that actually I'm stealing it from them. And when I make it mine and I search for a solution and I give them all the, the best uh, knowledge and everything I have about that, I'm actually creating a false picture of what it is to begin to walk through sorrow. And we end up living our values, our value, not values, but value, how much, how, how valuable I am to another person built on what I can do for another person rather than being having it be built on the relationship I have with another person. God gave us the freedom uh, to walk away in our anger and our frustration and everything else so that we could have the freedom to come back. And that's very much embedded in a call or an invitation to relationship. And that's part of not trying to be profound, but trusting the relationship to be the thing that encourages and, and uplifts and um, actually invites the person to own themselves a little bit more. The last thing I'll end on in this is when we emphasize our need for um, information to be passed to the other person to fix their situation, what ends up happening is that if that is my emphasis, then I end up going through life trying to collect or curate the knowledge necessary to provide that with, a, with, with the other person. And I become little more than a museum of information than a masterpiece as God created me. Because I can display God's handiwork, as, as scriptures indicate, that I am God's masterpiece. I display the wonders of his creativity and his faithfulness and his relationship in me and even display his character to other people that God meets us where we are, not where we should be or even where we wish to be or where we could be. He meets us where we are. And I think I'm called to reflect that same character. So when you look at, for example, 
in terms of being a museum versus a masterpiece. When you look at a masterpiece, it betrays the artist. It shows things that are that he deems or she deems important to include in that masterpiece. And that is equally true of God and me because every masterpiece is different. And you can even see that on a quick off uh, tangent. You can see that in the same artist from early in their career to late in their career. And their pieces change because their lives have been changing. And so the, the thing I will leave you with is what I had said when I started. Don't try to be profound. Just try to be present and trust that your presence and your relationship is the thing that gives hope, not always your words. Now, I'm not saying words are bad, but maybe if we kind of balanced this out a little bit, then perhaps we would give people the freedom to own themselves in our presence. And I would suggest to you that we actually become the safe people that a lot of people just assume they are without really displaying the characteristics of what safe people actually are. Well, that's it for tonight. I, uh, I will wrap it up and wrap up this week. Uh, you have been listening to the Love You Later Bye podcast. I'm Dr. Ray Mitch couple reminders. One, the fundraiser for our silent retreats for CCU students is on the website. My website is called A Dangerous Community uh, and uh, it is found at drmitch.com. The the opportunity to subscribe to the podcast is there as well as uh, an entire page for the silent retreats at CCU. Just click on the link for CCU and you will see it. Uh, Also, uh, I'd like to just encourage you to subscribe on the website. You'll get everything that comes out of the website um, that's new, including the podcast episodes. There's a couple things I've put up there recently. Uh, I spent a good portion of the last week or so putting putting together a retrospective video uh, for the CCU senior psych students. And uh, you are welcome to watch that. You will get to see kind of the interior of the relationships of the professors at CCU with with our students by the things we say. And and, uh, you also get to hear some of the students think about and reflect on their time at CCU and the impact that it has had as well, Uh, as well as some fun pictures and, and other things that are part of it. Uh, the, the one that is uh, hosted on my website uh, is actually what I'm referring to as the director's cut, which means it's a slightly longer with some more video and photographs of students that, that uh, I wanted to make sure it was included in some version of it. Uh, there is also a Easter egg at the end, not that I aspire to being anything close to Marvel, uh, because, of course, many of the Marvel movies always have an Easter egg at the end. Uh, but this was a, uh, I, I might say, it, it, was, uh, it certainly brings a smile to my face when I watch it. But 
uh, I got hijacked by a bunch of students with a gift that uh, was uh, uh, equal doses of amazing, embarrassing, and um, delightful. And I was very honored by the amount of effort and thought they put into it. So there's an Easter egg at the end if you want to look in on that. And, um, and it's, it's a fun watch. Um, the other thing that I just put up recently was um, the, the, what I called the last lecture. A couple of years ago, I had a number of seniors that asked me to kind of do what I'm doing on this podcast, and that's in one sitting all the thoughts and, and reflections I had on some, some of these life lessons that I'm talking about in this podcast. So it's all there at dr, uh, uh, drmitch.com. So I'd invite you to come and join us and, and listen in and um, take advantage of whatever the resources might be. Uh, as, it, as it looks, I probably have a, another half a week or so of uh, podcasts to run over some of these life lessons. I am not going to keep the torrid pace that I've kept the last two weeks and doing every day. So I will, I will be doing two or three web, uh, websites. I will be doing two or three podcasts uh, a week uh, for a while, which is far more uh, reasonable to uh, pull off uh, in the face of grading and just trying to uh, decompress and recover from, from a, a pretty stressful last seven or eight weeks of the semester for me as well. So um, thank you all for joining me. I'm Dr. Ray Mitch. Love ya. Later. Bye.